0: Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Shit Talking Podcast. I'm Christina Previtt. And I'm Robin Ross. Wait, are we allowed to see shit? I don't know. Whatever. Let's go. Hey, everybody. You are watching the Shit Talking Podcast, and I'm your co-host, Christina.
1: And I'm your co-host, Robin. And guess who we have today,
0: guys? Guess
1: who
2: we have?
0: Plastic surgeon, Rosie Roeder. M-D, bitch. <laughs> Sorry, that slipped out. Um, so we're, we've invited Dr. Rosie to come back on again because she was on a couple weeks ago talking about plastic surgery secrets, but I felt like we didn't really ask her anything specific like what should I nip and tuck and pull and and all of that stuff. And I know that there are a lot of questions out there about it, even though many of you are too shy to ask them publicly. I will field questions uh, that I know you all have because you all come up to me later and say, oh, you know, I really hate this, this thing right here. And what can I do about it? That's what we're going to ask Dr. Rosie. Mm-hmm. So if you, and if you have questions, you can put it on in the comments, obviously, for the people that are watching us live you can put your questions in the comments and obviously you won't be anonymous. You can say you're asking for a friend.
1: (laughs) You will not be anonymous. And also just as a disclaimer for everyone commenting on this podcast, your comments do stay on our live post on Facebook. So if you don't want your name out there in the streets, then maybe get like a creeper Facebook account to ask us questions, something like that. That's that's my, yeah, right (laughs) now. Right as we're recording this. So or just own it.
0: you
2: Yeah. Know, it. It's all right. I'm it. I mean, then, I'm like, all the stuff I've had, it's okay.
0: Yeah, right? Like I got over that a long time ago too. So <laughs> I haven't I'm, had anything, but I'm working on it. Well,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> well, well, I've had stuff and I'm proud of it. But yeah. I will. I also want to do a little disclaimer for Dr. Rosie too, because mm-hmm. obviously she's come on here graciously. She's not getting paid for this and she's going to answer General questions, but it's not intended to take the place of medical advice. Where you would meet a plastic surgeon in person, and they would examine you and and get a medical history. So I just want to say that. All
1: right, that's. I that. think Rosie's uh, malpractice insurance carrier is probably glad
2: that you said that as well. Yes, and I'm sure they are.
0: Well, yeah, you know what? But the thing is too, you know, people sometimes are afraid to ask questions, especially Mm -hmm. in a public forum like this. And they might say, well, you know, I went and I stuck pins in my face because Dr. Rosie said that. And, you know, then something terrible happens because you didn't obviously really tell them to put pins in their face. But we all know that lawyer brains just work overtime and... I don't want anybody doing anything crazy because of
2: something they heard on here. Well, right. we didn't mention anything crazy. Let's start with
0: that. Yes, let's not. We'll <laughs> okay. trust you to know where the crazy line is, Dr. Exactly. Rose, because Robin and I don't know where it is.
2: Yeah, well, we'll not think- even a little
0: bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I know has come up in so many conversations that I've had with people. and And also a concern of mine is as we age, I'm 45, about to be 46 on Sunday. And I feel, thank you. I feel generally like my face is, is there's like a mudslide happening. It's, it's sliding down. (laughs) So if you can see me right now for the people that are listening to the podcast, you know, it feels like it needs like just a little lift up. Just like, Mm -hmm little bit up. What do you think, Dr. Rosie? What what happens to our face as we age? Does it
2: slide down our skull? kind uh, A little bit. So, uh, <laughs> not exactly, but you look beautiful. You have very good peak fullness. But a lot of what happens as we age is we lose volume in our face. And a lot of that volume is related to some of the fat pads that we have in our cheeks and the mid-face. Um. And with that, as that gets atrophied or it goes away, the skin kind of shrinks with it. And we also lose elasticity. Everything in planet Earth goes with gravity, right? So it's going to start pulling down. And that's why we have valves, because everything's going to go south. The nasolabial fold gets a little bit more marked uh, because of that descent. So there's better work on several different levels, right? You gotta work on restoring that volume. You gotta work on restoring elasticity as much as possible. And there is a point where you don't really have much option except to go under the knife, really.
0: So sir, that's where the, the surgeon in plastic surgeon comes in, right? Yeah. So when do you really need a facelift? I mean, when is it time to to move on from Botox and injectables and, and other things that you may have in your toolkit to really having surgery
1: well can I ask a question before you answer that Dr. Rosie what the hell is a facelift like I've heard about this ever since I was a kid like so-and-so had a facelift like what exactly is that procedure like what
2: is a facelift right there's several different types of facelift and different surgeons pick different techniques whatever is good in their hand. But in general, it means making an incision that goes from around the temporal area in your hairline down in front of the ear and then the back of the ear extending to the hairline posteriorly. And that's so that you can pull the skin and take excess skin in that direction. Yes, you want to take okay. it up towards um, the temporal area. But then you also have to work on the under surface layer, it's called the SMAS. It's a muscle aponeurosis, basically. I don't. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's the musculature of the face. It's the, it's the fascial layer, and that descends with time as well, because all of our muscles atrophy and weaken, right, a little bit mm-hmm. as we age. Um, and when you lose that uh, fat grafting, uh, I mean, sorry, that fat. Um, you know, pads that we have in our face, that muscle comes down and descends and shrinks in a little bit too. So you resuspend the muscle. There's different ways to do that. People go into different planes and different techniques depending on what works in their hand. And I think, in my opinion nowadays... All facelifts should include some fat grafting, which is to restore those fat pads as well. Uh, I need, that's the standard of care. Every time I do a facelift, I do those three things. I volumize where they where they need it, which is usually the cheeks and the, the mid-face pads, um, sometimes around the nasolabial fold. And then I will um, elevate the SMAS Sometimes I apply Most of the time I it. Sometimes you have to take a little bit of the excess if there's too much. Um, and then I'll do some skin resection and then suture that, um, back to where things are. So, that's pretty much the steps of it. You do, do some skin resection. You, you work on the muscles to lift and tighten that up. And you also do the neck, by the way. You want to do some neck contouring. At times you make an incision right, right underneath the chin so that you can tighten the muscles in the neck as well. That's all part of a facelift. So those three things are addressed during that time. And then what's the recovery on that? How so long you, are you like looking crazy? You, you have some bruising and swelling that usually goes away by two to three weeks Um, The worst of it is really in in, in the first few days. It's very technique dependent, but if you have patients that are great candidates for it and they take care of everything, like I put drains in that stay for 24 hours. So um, I bring everybody in the next day, take out those little drains leave the sutures in for about five to seven days after the facelift and take the external sutures out at that point. So you don't get any marks on the skin from the sutures themselves. Um, And then it's just waiting for the swelling and the bruising to resolve. I have my patients take Arnica Montana, which is something that helps with swelling primarily and some bruising, Um, keep their heads elevated and they tend to do really, really well you know, you can't really be exercising doing Zoom, or anything that's going to elevate your blood pressure because of the li- risk of bleeding for the first, you know, few weeks. Yeah, darn. Oh, <laughs> um, darn. And you got to build that up. So um, to be presentable to the public, most people after two to three weeks are fine.
0: Sometimes like right. you have to take a lot of time off though. I mean, the average person, if you work a nine to five job, gets a few weeks vacation time and a lot of times
2: can't take more than a week off. Right. And you could, it just depends on, you know, how comfortable you are going back, being a little bruised and a little swollen. I have to say that I've been doing a lot more facial procedures in the beginning of this year than I've ever done. And I think that's consistent with my partners as well. Um, Because I think of Zoom meetings and people just being online a little bit more than usual. In the beginning of COVID, it was a lot of body procedures. And now I think people are tired of how they look um, Mm -hmm. and their online personas. And a lot more people are coming in. Uh, But going back to like Christina's question, when do you need a facelift? It really just depends on what your goals are. Because a lot of people don't want surgery, right? Like you said, they don't want the time. They want to maximize whatever you can do with injectables and Botox and lasers and other devices. But it gets to a point where those things don't work anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do have patients that are like in their 50s and they're like, you know what? I don't want to spend a lot of money in injectables and having to come back every year every two years to re-volumize my cheeks i don't want to be doing a bunch of lasers and spending money thousands of dollars on these devices i rather just get the facelift and get 10 years out of it
1: well and i would think that like after a certain amount of time if you do a cost-benefit analysis right and you say i'm spending x amount of money on botox or x amount of money on injectables or fillers or whatever it is and you add all of that up you could have just gotten a facelift Right.
0: Well, some Absolutely. people are just very nervous about surgery. Yes. And and some and people anesthesia. Are
2: not right. And some people are not surgical candidates, right? Mm. There are people who you don't want to put to sleep for an elective procedure because they might be high risk. Let's say somebody's on the blood thinner. Let's, this is, facelift is not a great procedure for people who are on that, So you just maximize and you do the best of what you can with right. injectables. And it may be that they get great results from that for a really long time. And, you know, maybe when they're 80, it doesn't, you know, it's not going to be sustainable, but they made it to 80. Right. So that's that's the right. goal to get you as far as possible down that line so that you don't need surgery. But for some people, surgery is the right thing. They're great candidates and they just have the two weeks downtime and they want to do it so that they're not really having to come back multiple times.
1: How long does this facelift last? Like, you know, are you going to be 90 and then your face looks like a smooth cat and the rest of you's like wrinkly and weird? Or is eventually is your face going to start
2: to do natural things? Even right. The a process, yeah, the issue process always continues. So you... You you got to do your natural regular upkeep with your skincare products, and every now and then come in with touch up with a non invasive thing, which is going to be much less often than you would if you were just relying on non invasives. And again, it is dependent on the individual. So if you take on bad habits, or you, you go to tanning beds, and you know you you, you start smoking or something, and um, mm. you know your genetics is just not great or something, like it just depends. But most people should get like at least a decade out of their facelift. I mean, mm-hmm. it, could be, it should be great. We have people come in for redo facelifts after 10, 15 years. Like they got one when they were 55 and now they're 70 and, and, and they want to, you know, do a little touch up or something that happens. Um, it really depends on your own aging. But yeah, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to have a 90 year old that got a facelift at 55, like going completely stretched out, right? Okay. <laughs> I think that, that doesn't really
0: happen. Well, maybe we could back up a little bit because I feel like facelift is like the grand poobah of the whole mm-hmm. plastic surgery world, at least right. when it comes to your face anyway, above the neck. Mm-hmm. And Botox and fillers are, are need something a little bit uh, lighter, plastic surgery mm-hmm. light, we'll call it. And Teresa actually has a question about Botox. When do you need it? How often do you get it? Mm-hmm. Can you answer some of those questions? Sure.
2: Um, so, if you're starting to see permanent lines on your face, and the most common ones are the horizontal transverse lines in the forehead, right? Forehead wrinkles. Um, don't I, don't wrinkles like <laughs> mm, I don't have <laughs> like, any like that. I don't have any. to see if I have. I have a little bit.
1: <laughs> I call those the. Like the, the, what the fuck lines, like when you're making the face, like, oh, like,
2: yeah. oh, like, or the- well, when you, yeah. When, when you can see those 11s, when you're starting to see those lines or your crow's feet around your eyes, like those little fine lines are starting to creep in. It's probably a good idea to start on them. Um, what Botox does and Botox is a general brand, by the way, we overall call them neurotoxins, but it's really botulinum toxin. It paralyzes muscles. That's what it does um so you want to use a particular amount that's going to be sensitive to you there's sort of average standards that most people respond to but every individual might vary in the amount that they need there are particular places that we put them to harmonize the face because you're trying to um weaken some muscles and make sure that other muscles are strong to make the effect that you want right um so you usually want to start when you start seeing those lines so you can stop the process of like creasing them, I call it, right? And once you have permanent lines that have set in, takes a little bit of time to work to relax that muscle, to soften up those lines over time. So ideally you want to start when you start seeing those coming up. I personally started when I was 37, um, with it, um, kind of, I think everybody gets a little addicted to it. Mm -hmm. Like you just kind of like the way it looks and you know, it's, it's hard to see you start animating your face in the way that those lines creep in. So I think the best is to start when you're almost starting to see that. So you can prevent those permanent creases. It takes about three days for the average neurotoxin. There's only one of them that works within 24 hours, but the majority of them takes about three days for them to kick in. takes about two weeks for the maximum peak effect. So you know what it's going to definitely look like. And Mm. they usually last for about three months. That's the average. I do have patients that come in only twice a year for them because they've been doing it regularly Mm. for a really long time. And for them that works. Um, some people have metabolizers and they need to come in a little sooner, but the more you do it, the more relaxed your muscles are the last, um, you know, lines that you see at rest are present. So, you know, it really kind of depends on the person, but that's sort of the average that you would expect. But Just you're now, not going in like once a week. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Every, the, the average like is every three months. Like we have quarterly specials because that's what most people need, you know, quarterly injections of, of, of the neurotoxins. Do you give yourself Botox? I do. I do my own injections actually. Yeah. Wow. So wow. initially. And I love my partners and they're excellent. However, everybody's really busy and sometimes it's just easier for me to do it. And the only thing that I started doing recently that I was kind of scared of doing is my own little lip flip, um, mm-hmm. the great technique and, um, took me a little bit of courage to do that. And I'm like standing in front of a mirror, trying to like jab the needle in the right direction. So I have bruised myself because it's much harder to get the right angle on yourself than it is mm-hmm. on um, someone else. Cause you can go from side to side and make sure your height, you know, your right hand is is working the correct way. Uh, but and where yeah.
1: exactly are you injecting Botox typically? Like I always think about the forehead, but is yeah. there any place else that you can inject Botox in your face?
2: Yeah. So going from top to bottom, uh, the forehead uh, muscle to prevent those transverse lines, uh, what we call the glabella complex, which are actually uh, two three muscles, I guess. One is a bilateral muscle called the corrugators. The medial part of it brings your eyebrows down. So you want to paralyze that so you can keep that up. It's mm-hmm. the most is the one in the middle. So that will prevent transverse lines uh, on the bridge of the nose. The corrugators will prevent those 11s. Then there's the orbicularis muscle, which is uh, um, ocular, which is around your eye. So you can put some Botox there to prevent the crow's feet. Mm-hmm. Um, around the mouth, you can put it on the orbicularis oris, which is the muscle that is around the mouth that can give you a slight raise on the border of the lip. That's called a lip, lip. Um There's a, a muscle that's a depressor on the corner of the mouth that we often Botox as well to prevent people from looking like they have their downward smile. Call like it the know.
1: marinette lines, like the puppet. Well, a little oh, bit. I think I have that. You don't have that. Just stop it.
2: I and, see none of that. Christina. And the other thing too that, um, you can do is, is, the masseter muscle. The masseter muscle, like if you bite down and touch the side of your cheek, you can mm-hmm. feel a really bulging heart, bul- bulging muscle. If we, we paralyze that to prevent grinding of the teeth. But it also helps with um, when your jaw is like very square and you have a prominent muscle, you can relax that and that will give you a a, a nice little angle there too. So that's something else. You can also paralyze the muscles on the neck, the platysma, to minimize the banding, which is when you look at some people and you can see those lines, um, you know, vertical lines around there. So you can do that. Um, People use Botox for migraine because you can relax all the muscles around the scalp and the posterior part of the neck also to help with that medically
1: so the Botox and you're going to have to forgive me because I don't really know a lot about fillers. So I'm going to ask some stupid questions. So Botox and like a filler, is that, mm-hmm. are those two different things? Like when I see commercials for Juvederm or something like that, is that completely different than Botox and does a completely different thing?
2: Yeah, completely different. So the yeah. ner- the neurotoxin, which is the, the botulinum toxin, which is Botox, Javo, Zeman, Dysport. Those are the name brands out there. Um, they are, um, it, it comes from a bacteria. Bacteria produces that toxin and the toxin paralyzes muscle. Um, and they are kind of bottled in a powder that you resuspend and it's a liquid injection.
1: When you mm-hmm. look at so- there a side effect to that? Cause I feel like it, it sounds weird that I'm injecting like a toxin into my face. Like, can this kill me? Am I like, what can happen?
2: It this? really shouldn't. The doses are okay, not good. Okay, that. Good. But there are certain (laughs) medical conditions in which people shouldn't have this because they already have kind of a a neuromuscular disorder or something like that, where Mm. their muscles already weaken. And if you give them a a toxin that's going to further weaken the muscles, it can be problematic, Um, especially if you're injecting around the neck and things like that. When I Mm. do a lip flip, I have to tell myself that I know that transiently for the next you know, after three days for about five days, it's going to, it's going to be weird. Like I'm, I'm going to think that I'm not sealing my lips around the glass. It's going to be really hard to whistle, but it's a transient effect from that weakness until other muscles, um, pick up, but I actually feel it. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I want to do that because
0: what is the difference between getting the fillers in your lips and doing the lip flip? What's the difference in the result?
1: Uh, like look, collagen, you mean? Like I've heard of people doing
2: collagen in the lips. Lips. That's different. So when you use a neurotoxin, you're you're paralyzing this muscle slightly. You're really just weakening it. It's a very, very small dose that gets distributed. And it rolls your border a little bit. It's a subtle effect. Okay. It gives a few like millimeters of raise. It's not meant to volumize or make the lip bigger. Okay. It's just meant to give mm-hmm. a slight outward roll of the lip. When you look at soft tissue fillers um they're almost like have a gel like um consistency to them so it's a much thicker product it's uh, there's a few different kinds but the majority of them are made of hyaluronic acid which is a naturally occurring substance in the skin um and that's why they don't last forever because there's an enzyme that can reverse that okay there's a, a few different fillers that are made of other things um that are also um sort of naturally occurring products calcium hydroxyapatite and um, polylactic acid. So they, the purpose of those are to really kind of give you that gel-like consistence for volumization. And they also induce some collagen um, production, absorb some water and really volumize. So, the, so the, they, they serve different purposes.
1: Hmm. So can you do all of these things together? Like, can I come in and get Botox? And fillers and like all of this at the same time, and just yeah, trick my face out completely.
2: You can, you can, okay. you, can you can definitely do them all at the same time. Um, there's some people that will choose based on their experience and what the patient looks like to delay, like on the cheeks to volumize the cheeks first, and then a couple of weeks later, come in and do uh, Botox mm-hmm. around the eyes, um, for different reasons, but. Most of the time, like I will treat patients and I'll do both. Like I'll, I'll do fillers and then I'll do Botox at the same time.
1: So for th- something like crow's feet, that would be fillers or that would be Botox? Botox. Or Botox.
2: Anything that's a fine wrinkle is going to be mm-hmm.
1: Botox. Like- well, I know maybe like 10 years ago, this might've been 10, I think more than that, 13 years ago, my nephew was very, very young. He might've been like three or four. And we were sitting on the couch and mind you, this is like 14 years ago. So I was not even that old and we're sitting on the couch and he smiles and he goes, look, Aunt Robin, when I smile, I have wrinkles around my eyes like you. And I wanted to punch him in his little face. I didn't. (laughs) But like from the mouth of babes. Right. But like ever since that comment, thank you very much, Dalen. Ever since that comment, like I'm always very cautious of like, oh, like, do I have wrinkles around the eye? And I just, I didn't know if that was a filler thing or a Botox thing or what yeah. you would do to address
2: that. Most of the time, I just ignore it. But yeah. that's a Botox thing. Like if you want your lips to be bigger, you want fillers. Okay. If you want your cheeks to be bigger, you want fillers. If you want the lines in your forehead to go away, you definitely want a Botox, you know, some kind of neurotoxin there.
0: Yeah, and you know, I want to point out too. It's not really your job as the patient to figure out what you need if you need exactly. Botox or Juvederm. Mm-hmm. So, and Dr. Rosie and I have talked about this before. When you go to the doctor, you a good doctor, which I know Dr. Rosie will do this, mm-hmm. will say what bothers you, and then you tell them what bothers you. you. know, I have bags under my eyes, or I really hate when I. Crinkle my eyes, and you know, I hate when my face moves, or whatever. <laughs> and she will assess what you need because a lot of times what we think we need as a layperson really isn't mm-hmm. what we need, and there, there's something else that will be much more effective.
2: Right. And it takes some time to go through that education process. There are people that have done a lot of research before they come to you and they've had friends that have done things and they, they, they kind of know, and they know like, this bothers me. I, I know I need to come in to do a Botox or a filler. They may not necessarily do anything like, I mean, tell you what, like, tell you what you're supposed to do to them, but they will know like, I need something to be done. And then I'll educate them on that. Um, I think I talked to Christina before about this. I usually use the bed, you know, the bedspread, the mattress and the box spring thing. I use this all the time and I write it down for my patients, what works in each layer and what we need to do. And for some people it can be quite overwhelming. So sometimes I have to dial it back because now I'm telling them, look, you need a skincare product. You need Uh, uh, Botox, you need fillers. And then there's this laser. So like, it depends what they're prepared for. So I listen to what they're telling me so I can see how much education they have, how much they've done before, what their exposure is so that I don't overwhelm them with everything that can be done, but where we're going to start and how we're going to build from there. Because you're not going to come in with one face and leave with another. At least I don't want to, I don't want anybody to walk out of my office and look like a completely different person weird right. cat woman ish. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I tell them, look, let's start with this. This is a small, mm-hmm. small low hanging fruit. It, you know, Botox wears out after three months. What's the worst case scenario? Right. And you might have to do a little touch up. The fillers are reversible. So I'll start them with a, with a reversible filler. So that if something doesn't work right, you reverse it. Right. Um, I call then- Botox the um, gateway drug. Yeah, because most people aren't
0: coming to you at 80 and saying, you know, I really let things go the past. (laughs) (laughs) few. It's time to get a facelift. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I'm guessing that that doesn't happen, that especially now with our generation, they come in and they start small like, oh, I want to. My boyfriend says it's like getting a tattoo. You get one, and you want more. Yeah, mm-hmm. there might be a little truth to that. That you come in and you get Botox, and you really like it, and you want more, and then you want you get more, and then maybe you graduate to fillers. And and I, my personal experience was then I started to realize, well, it's not just about getting Botox and fillers, but you have to take care of your skin too. So that was sort of the box spring mattress. Um, yeah. Right?
2: If, the best, if your bedspread or your sheets are wrinkled, who cares if, what your mattress is? Yeah. You know, yeah. Mattress in the universe, nobody's going to care. Right? So, so I, love that, wrinkled. I love that we have some men in the peanut gallery that are out yes. questions. Yes. I have lots of uh, patients who are men who do um, who get Botox and some that do fillers. Yes. So what yes. are, we have a question. What are the top three
0: procedures that men get? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, men tend to get surgery for like gynecomastia. I think we talked about that, which is the man boost. boost, um, liposuction. Some of them will do paniculectomies or abdominoplasties, um, in terms of injectables, Botox neurotoxins is usually the more com- most common as men age, facelifts and neck lifts are also prominent.
0: So are they coming in really for the same things that women come in for? Do they seem to have different concerns?
2: Um, So when they come in for facial rejuvenation, they tend to have the same concerns. I have a lot of younger men now in my practice than I thought I would have. Um, Mm, What's younger? what um, age range I have some in their late twenties, early thirties, already getting, um, some neurotoxin and trying to prevent wrinkles. I have men actually have men sort of from the late twenties until the er, uh, early fifties, getting, um, mm-hmm. a lot of the injectables. Um, That's quite I, high.
1: I heard, and I didn't even know that this was a thing, but, um, I was speaking with my boyfriend who's like very much a gym rat. So I think he was thinking about gym rat sort of things. And he said to me that guys get implants to get like six pack abs. Like they'll actually manufacture abs and calf implants, like to make their calves. Well,
2: calf implants. I've had a lot of requests for those pec implants.
1: Oh, so it's like the opposite of man boobs. Like they want the pecs. They want the pecs.
2: Um, and I've not had, and I don't know of any like implants for the abs, but you can definitely do liposuction and you can etch the abdomen. And this is something that you can do for men and women, um, where you with liposuction and the way that you do it superficially, you can pretty much create the look of a six pack. And you want to follow that particular individual's anatomy. So if you're going to do abdominal etching on somebody, you want to look at what you feel that their internal anatomy looks like, because not everybody is going to have a six pack if they work out, because maybe anatomically based on how their genetics is, that's just not there, but Mm -hmm. you pretty much surgically like sculpt that to look that way. So for sure. Yes.
1: Yeah. But I'm sure you can mess that up though. Like if you sculpt in these abs and then, you know, you're just That's out I mean. drinking. beer, you know, like a beer belly with like fake abs on top, like one you have t-shirts. an interesting
0: looking beer belly, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? It's like a very well defined beer belly. You
2: have. <laughs> oh, I'm sure somebody can do that, but um, you know, you would definitely want to do it in a couple of different stages if you had that, or you know, advise the patient to lose weight. What ends up happening is that men have a lot more intra abdominal fat problems than women do. Women carry their um, their fat sort of outside of their. Um, abdominal cavity so they have a lot of what we call pinchable fat if you can pinch it you can liposuction it right but sometimes a lot of i
1: have a lot of pinchables (laughs) i'm gonna start calling it that i'm not going to say i'm gonna say
2: no i'm i'm working on my pinchables right now i have working on the pinchables and sometimes when you look at men and you, and you think like oh they have like a beer belly kind of thing right well that's because most of that fat is concentrated in the intra abdominal cavity so you can't go in there to liposuction it right
0: I mean yeah. they just
2: have to lose weight because we there we there's fat layers inside like underneath the muscle and you can't go in there and suck that out because then you're gonna hit bowel and create a huge problem right I mean you just don't do that that's not what we do it's anything that's outside um. You know, superficial to your muscles that you can pinch, you can liposuction. Yeah, my my friend John says he can pinch
0: a bunch right now. He'll be making an appointment. Too bad, Actually, that's that's an interesting um, double standard that actually works in women's favor is that we can get lipo on that fat. It seems more readily than men can. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, on the other. You know, like spectrum of that. Men can lose weight a lot faster than women. Can. Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, and, and somewhat correct that. Like, it's our our superficial fat's a little bit more resistant um, than some of the some of the male are. But everybody's built a little bit differently. But that's sort of the concept there. And when you look at yourself sideways and you can kind of like pull things in, right? That mm-hmm. you're tightening your muscles, you kind of know the limit of what's on the inside. And if you can still pinch then you know that that's something that you can liposuction is whatever superficial to that, like tuck your belly in, pinch that, whatever you can pinch, we can liposuction.
1: I like that. We were feeling bad for the guys for like just a second. You know, we were like, oh, poor guys, you can't get the lipo the, the way that we can. But thanks to Dr. Rosie, she put it back all back in perspective. And she goes, no, no, Put those tiny violins away. They can lose the weight more easily than we can. So okay, we can guys, j- just lose the weight. You'll be fine. It's okay. Leave it the lipo no, to us.
2: But, we, but we're here. We can do, we can lipo, we can do tummy tucks, weight loss surgery, actually. You know, as we have, we'll see more bariatric surgery. So the gastric mm-hmm. bypasses, the gastric sleeve. Both men and women are affected equally and they will have a lot of redundant skin. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think I've seen... I've done two paniculectomies in the past week for weight loss patients. I saw one today. Um, So, you know, it's a very common operation now. Um, So we see a lot of that. Both men and women just have excess skin that they need removed. I'm going in for a consultation
1: for that soon, actually, because I had the gastric sleeve like five years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm just tired of all the freaking skin. Like, I'm just tired of it. So... I know they say you're supposed to wait for your weight to stabilize. I feel like five years is stable enough. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to go in and see what they can do. And I don't know your fancy word for it. And whatever lectomy, like whatever, they want,
0: something. whatever they
1: want, whatever they want. I'm going to say, just get rid of all of the, all of these pinchables around here. Just get rid of it. I want it gone. That's what I
2: want. And I think five years is like fabulous. Most people come a bit sooner than that. Although I had someone recently that came 13 years. She yeah. like waited 13 years to like um, remove all that skin, and it's fantastic. She's like a new woman. I love it. She's like one of my most favorite patients. Was it incident um, to a divorce? <laughs> <laughs> Might
0: have been.
1: I think sometimes you just like thug it out. I think you're happy that... I mean, maybe I'm speaking for myself. I think you're just happy to have lost the weight. So you're just kind of like, look, I'm good. It's fine. I'm not really concerned about it. And then as time goes on, you're kind of like, maybe I am a little concerned about it. Like, maybe I would like to get rid of this. You know what I mean? And yeah. sometimes it takes some time to get there. I know people that have had it too, that literally like a year later, they're kind of like, all right, when are we getting the skin off? Like, let's right.
2: do it. And you I think know? it's depends how busy in your life and what you were doing. And sometimes the times just passes because you have other things you're concentrating on, raising your family, working. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, now I have the downtime. Now I have the money because that's the other thing too, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of these procedures, even if you are a weight loss patient, are not covered by insurance.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Kelly wants to know if you can do anything about cellulite. Sure.
2: That's a positive answer.
1: Of course.
2: <laughs> yeah. Don't ask about stretch marks. That's that's a little hard. We can not go on that. But cellulite, sure. There's a couple of things in the market that are pretty good um, for cellulite. But is about setting expectations and knowing that you're not going to have a one-time procedure that's probably going to happen. You're going to come back a couple of times to do these things. One of them is called Selfina, and it's something that can be done well, both of them, profe- uh, um, the profound as well, they both can be done under under local. You come to the office, you just numb up a surface. Selfie um, is almost like a, if you think of a clock and if you were dialing like a clock, it has these needles that like release bands. Because what happens with cellulite is that you have adhesed like uh, bands that adhere from your dermis down to the fascia. And in between there's little fat, you know, pads. So if you think of a cushion, you know, that maybe has little buttons, right? And you can see that I'm not very good. I should be good at furniture living in hickory, but you know,
0: like that's <laughs> tufted.
2: Yeah, like that. You know, oh, yeah, I think
0: that's what you're you
2: got to go and release that. If you release that band, then everything comes to the surface equally. And that's what Sophina kind of does, releases those bands so that it can smooth out the cellulite. But it works well for some, it doesn't work necessarily that great for others. Um you can have profound, which is a microneedling radio frequency device that can also help with that. And it the needles will um help sort of induce injury and work on those bands, and the radio frequency will um help smooth things out and promote collagen to, to help out. Um so those are two things in the market that are probably the best that you that you can do. Um sometimes if you have big um like indentations, you could use uh, Sculptra, which is a different kind of filler that can induce collagen production as well. It does take a lot of Sculptra, and it's not sort of cheap, so you got to have the budget to do that because you might be spending like ten thousand dollars in an injectable that you're going to have to repeat in a couple of years. But mm. it, yeah, and sometimes if it, it, to smooth things out, you might need a little fat grafting, which is counterintuitive, but um, it it may help depending on where it is, like on the buttock, if there's some deflation and that's why you're seeing a little bit of cellulite. So there are things that can help improve it. They're not going to go away like completely, but they're definitely better than any alternatives that we could have given you. Like five, 10 years ago, you asked this question would have been like, not really. And the
1: fat grafting, is that more permanent than the injectables?
2: Uh, Fat grafting tends to be a little bit more permanent than, um, sculpture. As long as it takes, it should stay there. If you gain weight, you might gain weight there. If you lose weight, you might lose weight there. Uh, Only a certain amount that you transfer is going to survive, but it tends to be more permanent. That's like the Mm. percentile lift kind of stuff.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about eyes. Yes. Because I have a friend who asked Mm -hmm. me to talk to you about um, lid surgery. So she's specifically interested in lower lid, but maybe you could kind of distinguish... What's going on with the upper lid, the lower lid? Because sometimes people don't need
2: both, right? Right. Sometimes they don't need both. Sometimes they need all four. And you can't talk about the upper eyelid without talking about the eyebrows. So, um, you know, for men and women, the eyebrows are set at a particular place where they should stay. So for women is above the rim. So the bony rim and for men is right about that height. And, and immediately that's why we all kind of arch our eyebrows or somebody does your eyebrow, they arch it right. Sort of laterally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you tend to be, you want to, that arch to be above the, the rim. So when you look at someone and they have very, very thick horizontal lines across their forehead, and you can see a little bit of hooding laterally, The first thing I think as soon as I walk into the room is they're going to, they're going to need a brow lift and that's not what they came here for. And I'm going to tell them about all these big incisions or, you know, some endoscopic procedure to raise their eyebrow first. So the first thing, if you're looking at upper eyelids is what's the position of the brow is the eyebrow in good position. So if the eyebrow is in good position, then great. You can just look at the upper lid. If the eyebrow is in bad position, then you got to tell them that I got to fix your brow first. Because if you lift their eyebrow, then you're going to have a lot less skin to remove. If you, if you, they really need a brow lift and you don't address that, then you did them a disservice because they're going to recur really quickly from the upper eyelid and their eyes are going to look hollow. So you mm-hmm. have to address the brow position first. And then you look at the upper eyelid with where the, eye, the the brow would be in ideal position. And then you see, do I have some skin to pinch? And then if the answer is yes, you're going to do a little skin pinch there. The one thing about it is you always have to look at the function, right? As we age, there's a little muscle in the eyelid that can stretch out. um, And you've got to look at it and you've got to make sure that you address those functional problems. Because if you just take skin out of someone who really has an eyelid that's really dropping, they're not going to be able to see in the near future. You know, if you're going to operate on it, you might as well address their functional problems too. So I don't do a lot of functional surgery anymore because we have fantastic oculoplastic surgeons in my community that are great at doing that. And a lot of the functional problems can be addressed by insurance. So I let them do the medical problem, but it's my job to identify that because if I identify a functional problem, I tell them, look, I'm going to get you to the ophthalmologist that takes care of this and your insurance will probably pay for it. And this is great for you. Right, so this is not mm-hmm. a procedure. But if they're their brows in good position, the function of their upper eyelid is good, and they just have a bit of excess skin, that's a very easy procedure that can be done under local for you to take that extra skin. So that's sort of the upper eyelid.
1: So if you have someone, because I know you know Christina and I deal with this in our own you know law practices, where you have a client, for example, and you tell them this is what you need to do, and they go, "Okay, I'm hearing you," but that's not what we're going to do. So do you ever have a patient that comes in and you say, look, you really need to have a brow lift. Having just the eyelid surgery is not going to give you the results that you want. And maybe it's for budgetary reasons or whatever the case may be. They go, well, I don't want to have a brow. lift. I don't want to do that. I just want to get the eyelids done. Do what I, you know, came in here to do. That's what I want you to do. Will you just then say to them, I don't want to do the surgery because you're not going to get what you want? Or will you just say fine. If you want to mess up your eye, I'll mess up your eye. Like, fine. You know, like, how do you handle when someone's not exactly doing, you know, the whole package that you're telling them? Because a lot of people will come in for a consultation, right? And say, I've looked up the cost of eyelid surgery. I know I can afford that. And then they get there and then you're throwing in a brow lift that maybe they didn't budget for. And they go, well, why don't we just do the eye surgery?
2: Right. Um, I try to explain to them why it's not a good idea. And I usually don't do it. What I tell them is, if you really have bad brow ptosis, let's go get you an eye exam, a field field of vision test. Maybe you'll fail that. Then your insurance can pick up the tab for their brow lift and their eyelid. And then maybe that is the best thing for you. If you pass that test, then we can talk about it. For me, it's really hard to do like the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I rather say, look, save up your money and do the right thing because you're going to regret it. You're going to you're going to recur, and there's no point in spending a few thousand dollars on your upper eyelid to last you like one or two years, and then you're going to be back here needing the more expensive procedure anyways. What I, what I sometimes tell them is like prioritize the brow lift. You should definitely have the brow lift first. Mm-hmm. So forget about the. Eyelids. I've had patients that come in for the upper eyelids. I tell them I need a brow, they need a brow lift and an upper eyelid, and they can't afford both. So I said, do the brow lift first. And later on, we'll do that upper eyelid under local. It's going to be much cheaper and you're going to be fine. And most of the time, the improvement is so great with just the brow lift that they forego the eyelid. Hmm. But most people are okay doing it. Most people are like, okay, well, that makes sense. And and I'll do what you recommend or the wait and save money to do it. And, you know, the, some people do lower eyelids under local. I don't like doing lower eyelids under local. I like doing them under general. So I'll say if you, if you need, if you want, if you need both upper and lowers in a brow lift, if you want to do the brow lift and the lower eyelids under general, and then stage and do the upper eyelids under local later, I can do that.
0: Okay. Why do you not like to do the lower under local?
2: Cause I like to protect the eye. I think there's a much greater chance of you causing corneal abrasions and injury to the globe. Um, I don't love putting numbing medicine in the eye. So for somebody to tolerate a surgery like that, where you're adequately protecting their eye, at least in my hands, I would put a shield and think about a contact lens Think Right. It would be really hard for you to get like a very hard, con- like big contact lens inside your eye for like 30 min- thirty to 45 minutes without numbing the eyeball. <laughs> right. right. But I don't like, so when I put people to sleep, I don't need to numb their eyeball, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not going to feel it. And a lot of the times I can protect the eyes in, d- in a different way which is, I just won't go into that actual parts of it, but I want when somebody wakes up for them to tell me if their eyeball hurts, mm-hmm. because if they, you know, it's one of the risks operating around the eyes, a corneal abrasion or something, you know, a corneal scratch. But so, if you wake up and you tell me you have pain, then I can put you in the correct eye drops. I can put you in a uh, in a protected lens. If not, you got to wait for that medicine to wear out. They might be home now that they're calling you, and then like you got to bring them back in. And what if it's after hours and you try to find yeah. like you know a way to do that? So I prefer to do it. It's just better in my hands, and you know. There are some people that are are super comfortable. They maybe done thousands of it under local and that's how they do it. And they're like, okay, what she's saying is complete BS. I do it just fine. But you know, it could be. And like I said, everybody has their own technique and, and their own bias. Mm-hmm. You know? And maybe after I've done 2000, I'll be like, okay, I'll try to do this under local. But you know, I like to go transconjunctival. So go inside the eye, making an incision there. Um so I don't know. To me, like if I was like awake, staring at somebody coming in my eye with like a cauterizing needle point bovie tool, I would be freaking out. So yeah. I mean, that's just me. Like, why do you want to watch? <laughs> that would freak me feel- out. Not, and full disclosure, yeah. I had my, I had an upper
0: bleph. I had my upper lids done, which and very, very happy with the result. And it was a local. And I, I had a cocktail of pills. I really should have been asleep. My doctor said, I don't know how you didn't fall asleep. And I was like, I didn't want to miss anything. <laughs> but um it, that was fine, but he wasn't poking anything in my eye. You know, I, I had my eyes closed the whole time. Well, so. The upper
2: bluffs are, are very easy because you, you mark when the patient is awake uh, with their eyes open so you know where the crease is. Um, there's very um, standard landmarks as to where you're going to put your incisions and how you're going to do it. And you mark that all with the patient with your eyes closed and you put the numbing medicine in. and It's very easy to do. Right. Mm, yeah. if, you're up, if you're going inside the eye uh, up in the lower lid, eh, people roll their eyes, yeah. up, you know, just naturally. but it's a little bit like weird. And if somebody moves and you're really close um, and sometimes I like to not have a, a shield in place, depending on what I'm doing, like for certain portions, I'll have it after I raise that transconjunctival flap. then I just flip that over and take the shield so that I don't stretch the eyelid and I know exactly how much I'm tightening it. So I don't know. I just do to my patients what I think I would like having done to me. So that's kind of my bias. Well, yeah, do you, I don't know I'm that I, I could be, <laughs> right.
1: like, be awake for that. Like even when I do something simple, like non-surgical, like getting lash extensions, if there's a point where my eye is open and she's trying to like fix the lash with the tweezer, I'm like freaking yeah. out. And, and yes. You know what I mean? And I, it's just because you see and she's like, okay, relax, relax. And she goes, I know that I'm putting a big tweezer towards your eye and telling you to relax. But it's just like an, an, you know, an impulse. Like you see something coming at your eye, you're going to, you know, yeah, try to, yeah. to protect it, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so, you didn't yeah. get any Xanax for that. Right. And and no. they say I want to do a lower left, a straight low call, I'm like, you know what? Like there's a few other people in the community that do this. Maybe you should go to them because I just don't want to push the borders of what I'm comfortable with because then I'm not going to give you the best surgery because I'm going to be worried about a, a, a million different things that I don't usually worry about because if you're asleep, I don't think, you know, they're like not on the forefront. So
1: I want my surgeon to be comfortable. Yeah, I want you to be in your best headspace when you're knifing me up. Like, I I need you to be in a good place. So if that's what you need to be in a good
0: place. The general anesthesia drugs are great. I mean, you only (sighs) feel it for like a second, but it's really... (laughs)
1: That's a good sleep, man. Like you wake up and you're just kind of like, if I could get that kind of sleep every night, you know. Well, just... Michael
0: Jackson tried it. It didn't work out so good. No, not in a Michael Jackson way. Well, I, but I you know, like know he,
2: he wasn't adequately monitored and, you know, and things like that. So if you're going to be in an operating room, you're going to have an anesthesiologist and an anesthetist, somebody that's going to be looking at the monitors that knows what they're doing, that's credentialed to do what they're doing, like sitting there with you all the time. So, you know, there and, and anything is possible in life, right? And there are people that die under general anesthesia, correct? But this is mm-hmm. not the average healthy person that is being adequately monitored, adequately treated, um, in an in an office setting. Um, so it. I do have some people who are hesitant and they want to do a lot of things under local. And there are lots of things that maybe you don't need to go to under general anesthesia uh, for. But it's, you know, all general anesthesia is, it's, it's safe. I wouldn't well, didn't you say you did something crazy, like without, gen- like liposuction or something. No, I, don't with lipo. I don't know if it's crazy. I mean, I had lipo under local, but
1: yeah. I, well, is that, is that, routine? Like, do you, do you find a lot of people that are kind of like, give me some local anesthesia and I'll do the lipo. Uh, I mean, I would think that's something I'm absolutely going under for.
2: Yeah. Again, it's, it's a lot of people just want to go under for it. Um, There are advantages to having an awake patient. Like, like when I was awake, Um, Mm -hmm. I could stand up and then my surgeon could reassess what was going on because things change when you go from a standing up position to a lying down position. That's why we Mm -hmm. always mark patients when they're standing up or sitting up, right? No, no doctor has ever told you, lie down, We're going to mark you to go to surgery. No, right? Things change, um, positional. Um, like, so it, it does have that advantage because the patient can cooperate with you. But I wasn't like strictly awake, right? I did have like a little gas anesthesia called Pronox, like (laughs) some nitrous. So we were having a really fun conversation. Um, I took a Percocet before. I didn't take any anxiolytics. And the tumescence, which is a fluid that you inject to be able to do liposuction, that fluid has anesthetic in it. So all she's doing or the plastic surgeon is doing is numbing up the skin where they're going to make a little stab incision to put the cannula and then they're going to infuse this fluid. That's going to anesthetize everything. And if you feel something, which you know, you gotta be the kind of person that's okay. Like feeling something. So like, yeah, you hit a spot that wasn't numb. I'd be like, hi, I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I that. And then she would just give me a little bit more. But if you're not the kind of person that's going to be okay with that, then definitely just go to sleep because you make everybody's life easier. Yours, the surgeon's, right? Um, mm-hmm. You have to, you have to understand and accept that that's part of it. So... If somebody wants awake, and I've done a couple of people awake in my office, I'll do it. If I think that they're the right patient, that they have the right goals, that they'll be able to tolerate it, um, definitely not something outside the scope. So we have
1: a question of what exactly were you feeling? Were you feeling like pressure? Were you feeling a pinch? Like, what, what did it feel like? I mean, I understand it wasn't painful per se, but what were you feeling? So you can definitely
2: feel some pressure, some pulling and tugging, some vibration, because the liposuction Mm -hmm. vibrates to make it easier um on the surgeon to to get through it. Um but if like they hit a spot that wasn't numb, you almost feel like a lightning ball, or just like somebody's really kind of punching you in the gut. Mm -hmm. Right. Um or, or some or I would feel at times like hot. Like I knew that the cannula was going by my skin in the way that mm. um the vibration created some heat but it wasn't anything intolerable right Okay. But if you are but if you have a cannula and you touch somebody's abdominal wall and you touch that abdominal fascia like you contract and you can tell that you got somewhere you shouldn't be and they usually mm-hmm. are like right um so I did that like maybe once um yeah. it wasn't a big deal I was just like oh felt like you kicked me in the gut for a little bit then it stops. Just give some more local anesthesia, and you keep going. Uh, and, and how the, long was that procedure? Uh, how long? So I think we spent like a good two and a half hours. And it was a break. Like the great thing is, I ate some popcorn in between. Like I got up, had a snack, <laughs> had a Gatorade, looked at half of the side. I should post pictures of this. Yeah, you should. So like yeah, during so this ahead. procedure, are I
1: feel like I kind of know the answer to this too. But you had a little popcorn, like. Could I maybe get like two fingers of scotch? Like, is that okay? Like in between, just just to say, like, why
2: don't I give myself like a little nip? You know, just a little something I mean, in between. The, the pronox and the percocet are enough for that. Uh, yeah, I don't know True. that you want that, um, but you know, like I had a regular lunch that day. Um, yeah, and I had half of the procedure. Then I went and hydrated with some Gatorade. ate a little carb, you know, snack, which it was popcorn. Um, mm-hmm. And then went for, you know, did one side and then went for the other side. And after that, had another snack and, and felt quite tired, really. Like by the time I got home, I felt really tired um, and took a nap and, and didn't really even have much, much dinner. But just try to keep drinking. Like the most important thing after any liposuction procedure is just to hydrate and keep hydrated. So I, well, I did that and I was a good patient.
1: Well, I'm sure you were tired after all those perks and popcorn. That'll wear anybody out, you know. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. It was once. Yeah. At the it was
2: one. Like she's like, let's, let's be clear. And it start was start one. Start part. Part. One. And part. one. The, the But, but yeah. you have to guess too. And I had the gas. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, if you're not used to like those kind of things, which I'm not like, it really, I think knocks your butt a little bit. Um, yeah. but it was all very safe. It looked great. I had two people helping take care of me. Um, so that helped out. One of them was a nurse. One of them was my tech. So they were, um, they were watching over me. Um, so they were great friends and, and put up with me, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> perks and
0: popcorn. That could even be the name of a podcast. I know, you know,
1: if oh someone goodness, will supply goodness. the perks, I will supply the popcorn and we'll have a new podcast. I,
0: I don't I can vouch for Dr. Rosie. I don't think she's uh she's doing that.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think she's gonna be be no. our pusher, but Actually, if anybody's out here who that. wants to provide us with some perks, let me know.
2: Well, I'm gonna tell you that one of the things too is that so I had like, I went to Tampa and had this. Um, so I had my surgery on a Monday and I went to see her for my post-op visit on Tuesday. And then I got on a plane and came home and I was off work Wednesday and I went back to work on Thursday. Like I was taking, I was taking no pain medication except for Tylenol really after Wednesday, Mm. like during the day, I didn't need anything. It wasn't a particularly painful surgery, um, Mm. at all. So who knows if I even needed them. For the procedure itself, like I guess I'll never know because I—that's just kind of what happens in some of these local procedures. You take something for your nerves, you take something for pain, just to decrease that threshold so the other medicines work well. But I'll tell you that, like I was back at work on Thursday. I was operating on Friday. Like, that's interesting. Nice. You were standing. A lot. Yeah, so a lot. My pain threshold is not, is not super low. Like I was just like, great, it's something I wanted to do. it. I did it, and I feel great, and that's it. Like move forward But well, you were standing a lot too. Did you have yeah. smelling? Uh, I did. So I actually made a standing desk for me on Thursday because I didn't want to crease anything. And, and I had this like little stiff, like board on my belly. So it was really hard to like sit down. So I got, um, there was a, an extra office space where close to, where my exam rooms are, because um, my office a little bit more towards the back end of it. And I just created a standing desk, and I just did that like all day. And I wore my compression stockings, wore my garments, um, and during lunch took a a little breather, like down for about forty five minutes, and, and then just kept going. And I did three circles wow. Friday, and, and and it was okay. It was fine. Just oh, she's a trooper. Just breathe. Right. So. You had to you a month later, so tell me, after a C-section, like, going back to doing kidney transplants, like, a month later, this was a breeze. Like, compared to that, this was, like, nothing. Like, I think you need to get, you know, that should be part of your branding.
1: It's, like, Dr. Rosie, expert, surgeon, and super thug. Yeah. Because, like, I have never heard something like that in my life. Where you're, like, yeah, I had a little lipo Monday, then I did some surgeries Thursday and Friday. Like, that's... that's yeah. That's crazy, but I think that just kind of shows like your ability and what you're able to do. Cause had it been me, and maybe it's just because I'm a little bit of a pansy. I would have been like, oh my god, I can't like you guys want me to take a phone call. Like I just had surgery. I can't. You no, know?
2: oh, just <laughs> Tylenol. Yeah. Oh, I can't. It was better to like be working and walking around and standing than it was to lie down for a prolonged period of time because you, it was like 360. So I had bruises on my back and I had to lie flat the whole time, you know, to get, let my belly kind of settle up that standing up, walking around, doing all that stuff was actually better um, for me. And after four weeks, I went back to doing everything, and anything I wanted to do. And I CrossFit, so I went back to doing that and it was great. It was even better. Um, <laughs> because it didn't look wow. like that, that little pooch where my yoga pants kind of always <laughs> paranoid, you know, about all that coming out. I'm like, Oh, it's nice in I can actually focus on exercising and I can see my muscles. Mm. Out. So I'm like, this is fabulous.
1: Well, we, we have a question about going out of state and that's a really good question. Because yes, exactly. I know a lot of people travel for surgery. Like there yeah. is like this you know, um, I guess like surgical tourism or something they call it. And I'm not even necessarily talking about traveling out of the country, Mm -hmm. but how do you feel about traveling out of the state? Like, so if I decided, you know what, I want to go to Dr. Rosie and I'm in New Jersey. Is it safe for me to go down to where you are and say, I'm going to have my surgery in North Carolina and then come home?
2: Right. So I think that primarily, if you're going to travel anywhere out of your state, you better be seeking someone who's like a leading expert in their field. So mm-hmm. I felt that the person that I went to is like a leading expert in doing liposculpting. And um, Christina, <laughs> <laughs> <She's> <laughs> awesome. I love you. Um, so I think that you know, like she, she's she's an expert in doing this and and mm-hmm. doing awake lipo. And if you don't have general anesthesia your chances of having a blood clot meaning getting on a plane and things like that are much less right, right. there's some things that happen when you go under general anesthesia in terms of your blood pressure your coagulable state and all of that so i think number one you're you're, you're going somewhere outside of your radius uh, one or one hour of where you live you're going to be seeking a national expert yeah and then you're going to be willing to follow what they think is their protocol what's ideal for this Because there Mm -hmm. are procedures, like if you're going to the expert in the world for upper blest and you're going to do it under local, like I would say like you get on a plane and go to Japan, like your highest risk is the long plane ride to Japan, which would be the same (laughs) if you're just going there for tourism, right? Right. Um, Just to look at the cherry blossoms, like your eyelid is... (laughs) (laughs) trivial, right? Because it's a procedure for mm-hmm. the last 30 minutes. Um, but if you're going to go all the way to Japan and have a tummy tuck and then want to fly home the next day, right? probably not such a great idea unless you're really willing to like walk around that plane quite a bit and have a bunch of anticoagulants and increase your risk of bleeding and then come home and not have anybody that wants to take care of you.
1: Well, and that's the concern too, or it would be, you know, complications or, you know, follow up or what are you doing post-op? You know, I would think for a lot of these procedures, the doctors, I mean, maybe not for liposuction. I don't know if, you know, there's a lot of post and plus you're a doctor. So you kind of know what you're looking for and what you're doing, but like, don't you need to go back to that doctor and say, well, now I'm one week post-op or two week post-op and I need you to look at me and make sure everything is Okay. How are you doing that if you're out of state for something as complicated as a tummy talk? You know,
2: I think what people do is end up doing Zoom consults and calls and things like that. Um, But you have to really pay. A lot of people travel out of state, not because they're seeking the national expert, but because they're seeking the cheapest surgery. So they'll end up in places and I don't want to, you know, I consider my hometown. So I'm going to say Miami and other places like that. But they're going there because um, it's cheaper. And I've had mm-hmm. some of my patients being like, well, you charge this much to do one thing, and I can go down to Miami and get like my arms, legs, tummy, and all that. And I'm like, okay. You know, like all I can I- do is educate you. There's a reason why this is the way it is. You're going down there for a cheaper price because either they're not real plastic surgeons or, um, their high. Their volume is so high that it, it doesn't matter. They're going to see you once. Like, you know, you're going to come in, you're going to have surgery. They'll never see you again. And then they'll leave you to like, best of luck. You know, you're going to get on a plane and whoever's in your community is going to have to do with a complication if there is one. And we have patients like that. We have patients that show up here. They go down to another state and they get on the plane like 30 minutes after they're recovered from their breast augmentation. And then they call. They're <sighs> like, oh, I have stitches that you, that I need removed. Or, oh, I mean, so much pain. I don't know if this is right. Nobody will answer their phone. Right. scary. Yeah.
1: That's, um, it's terrifying. That's like, I mean, people do it, uh, not even just within the United States, but I know a lot of people that go to different countries to get procedures done because they're dirt cheap. And the concern I have with that is that, okay, then you fly home and let's say you had a botched job. Now you need somebody to fix it. Good Mm -hmm. luck going back to that place to do it. Or you have complications and your doctor's not even here. The person who did the surgery is somewhere else. So, Or like you said, maybe they're not even a real doctor. Like they're, you know, injecting fix-a-flat into your ass in a super rate. You know what I mean? It's just saying like, oh, you it, can It's get not
0: a fix a flat ass. It's fix a flat ass.
1: Right, but, but I can't remember <laughs> what- I, Did you guys remember this crazy story about this woman who was like injecting things in like a hotel room? It was like, oh yeah, come to this hotel room and I'm going to give you a bigger butt. And she was like injecting like stuff from like the freaking Home Depot into yep. people. Oh yeah, yeah, it's crazy.
2: I have seen all of that. I mean, every you cannot surprise me with anything. Um, industrial grade silicone. Right, because that's really mm-hmm. what the flat is, and those surgeries Um, mm-hmm. and, And um, I recently have had <laughs> patients that I've taken care of, which were kind of overwhelming for me because they all went to have surgery together uh, abroad, and then they all came back with the same complication. But you know, contaminated equipment um, with horrible mm-hmm. infections, and then you're just carving out body parts. Like it's it's really it's really really sad. Um, we just one of my colleagues tested, texted me today saying. Um, just have somebody in the ER that went to a foreign country and has drains and has complications and I'm like, "Yep, I know." And they call my office here. I mean, I'm in a small town in the middle of North Carolina, right? I'm not in a major center where you can say it's a huge population. And there's a, you know, and that's why you have those numbers because we used to see this a lot in Miami and Boston, but I'm here in the middle of nowhere and almost like every other week there's somebody calling in saying, "I went to this foreign country. I went to that foreign country." Yeah. And I'm back and I have problems can somebody fix me? Um, and it's hard, you know, like it's hard for us to want Mm -hmm. to take that on. Um, some patients consult with us and then goes to other places because they're cheaper. There's places down the street here. Um, and, and the public's not really educated about what it means to be a plastic surgeon, you know, because we have little Facebook groups out of, in our community and a recent popped up, somebody asked for a plastic surgeon and people were listing places where there's no plastic surgeon that works there. You know? Oh Wow. So I commented just saying, like, if you come to my practice, all of us are board-certified plastic surgeons. We all have experience and training in plastic surgery. We all have hospital privileges. We can all take care of you. We can take care of any complications because we end up taking care of complications from these other practices, like, all the time.
0: Uh, What do you think of dentists doing Botox?
2: So I will have to say that... um, Dental school is not easy, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Dental school is not like somebody who didn't go to any school. Like they know the facial anatomy. So at least they know and understand how the muscles in the face work. Mm -hmm. So I don't have an issue with somebody who is a dentist doing Botox or, you know, doing, because they do cosmetic dentistry and that might be in the scope. Because like my uncle is a oral maxillofacial surgeon. I mean, the man knows more about facial anatomy than maybe I do. I mean, he can, Mm -hmm. like, he can map everything out. Like they understand that. So I'm okay with that. I think what I'm not okay with is somebody who just like goes in the weekend course. Like I've had people come to me and say, oh, this happened, but I don't want to tell you who did it. And I'm like, why don't Mm -hmm. you tell me? (laughs) So I'm like, now I'm even more intrigued. I want to know who did this. They're like, And she got this thing from like Asia and she brought it and put it in my lips. And I'm like, I have no idea. Mm. And then like my lip died. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, that's the problem. Like, I don't know who this person is, what kind of credentials they have. Did you just buy a product on Amazon, decided to inject themselves and inject somebody else? That to me is a dangerous thing part of it. Um, if you have somebody who is a professional who understands the anatomy, has a valid degree, has learned to do this, and I'm okay with that.
1: So what you're saying is that me with my doctorate in jurisprudence, I should not go take a weekend course and do Botox. Right. Okay.
2: Probably not. You know what? <laughs> Noted. Darn. Do I'm gonna we
0: cancel that? No, yeah, let, let, let me cancel it. Let
2: me cancel my, my weekend do this, right? There's <laughs> lots of people that are intelligent enough to do it. But, you know, it it takes a little bit more than just a weekend course to do it. Because people go get a weekend course in liposuction and they start doing it, but they don't understand the harm that they can cause. And we see that too. We have people with lumpy stomachs and it looks terrible. And they maybe have a medical degree, but they have a medical degree and they take care of, you know, emergencies or their family medicine or their ophthalmologist. I don't know. They're just somebody... Who like wasn't trained to do that particular surgery, like they didn't do that residency, like they focused on something else, and a weekend can't substitute like years of training.
0: Right. Well, it's kind of like with lawyers, you know, people will I I do divorce and so does Robin. But people just assume that because we're lawyers, that you know, we're we can handle any area of law. So they'll start asking you about criminal law or real estate or estate planning and you know, really nuanced areas. Mm -hmm. And I personally don't think that I should really be answering those questions. I can give them general answers and and recognize when there's a problem. But I only send them off to someone who handles that every single day. That's who you want. You want the person who's doing it every single day. And that's how I feel like what you're saying is, I don't necessarily want to go to my dentist to get Botox. Partly because... I when I first started getting Botox, I really wanted someone that I could build a relationship with, and who could recognize when I needed something more than that, or mm-hmm. um, you know when it was time to graduate to Juvederm or whatever. That's what I personally wanted, and I didn't think a dentist could do that for me.
2: And it really just depends, you know. Um, you're right, and I have seen people who inject and they might've been, um, I guess I shouldn't even mention their credentials because people would be mad at me, but, um, who weren't necessarily plastic surgeons or cosmetic dermatologists or, and they come with their eyebrows, like completely like hanging over their eyes. And that's because whoever was injecting them, doesn't have enough training or expertise to understand that they needed a brow lift and that they unmasked, That by completely paralyzing their forehead muscles, which was the only thing keeping their eyebrows in somewhat of a reasonable position so they could see. And now they Mm -hmm. want me to fix this. And I'm like, this is really hard to fix because I can't reverse Botox. All I can do is Uh try to weaken other muscles that they attempted to paralyze, but paralyzed wrong. Like you can go a few millimeters above the corrugator and get the frontalis and completely drop somebody's eyebrow like this. And I have people come Mm -hmm. in, they're like, hi. They try to. And you're, and you're just like,
1: <laughs>
2: oh, okay. no, they kind of have to live like that, you know, and I can maybe do a couple of things to help out. And there might be an eyedrop that I can give you if the product migrated south or to try to help the eyelid come up. But it's just because they're unmasking something that if you had gone to a qualified person, that's that can that can understand that it could at least warn them and, and paralyze things in a way that makes sense. Um, and Sometimes they're their It reminds. So me their brow it reminds no, listen, I'm me, kidding. Oh,
0: yeah. go ahead, Kristen. It reminds me of because uh, in divorce law, there's sort of this mentality sometimes in the legal community that oh, divorce is easy. You know, I I know I do criminal, but business is slow. I'm gonna do a few divorces. How hard can it be? And they really screw it up. They they make little mistakes that can become big problems because they don't do it all the time. And that's exactly, you know, I I think it's the same sort of situation is you get someone who thinks, oh, it's just Botox. I mean, it's easy, right? I mean, I can do I watched a YouTube video. I I could do it. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunately what happens sometimes.
2: Yeah. I think we talked about this a little bit in, in another conversation we had was that, you know, you should never take what you do for granted right? You have to always keep like educating yourself. You can't just walk in. Like I never walk in and say, Oh, I'm just going to inject some Botox on this person. Right? Like you always have to think about them as an individual. You got to respect the product. You got to respect the anatomy. You, You, you have to always go in as if this was like, you know, the first patient ever you were doing, you know, like you, you got to treat everybody like they're your mother. Like that's how I think about it. Like, what would I want my family member? What would I want in my face? And that's what I'm going to do every single time. Never make it think like, oh, it's just another Botox patient, it's just another filler patient, another, another breast dog, right? Like you, you just walk in every time with your A game, having a lot of respect for what you do, and then you're always going to be doing the right thing for that patient.
1: I think what I took away from this. Um because I came into this kind of thinking like, yeah, it's just a little Botox. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people think that way. Like you hear about Botox parties or you hear about, you know, like it's not that big of a deal. And I think we do think, well, okay, it's just like a little injection. What's the worst that can happen? Like my face isn't going to be able to move. But I've never heard a story like that of somebody's eye just getting completely droopy and messed up because Botox was wrong. So, you know, I think that the takeaway from this is, you know, don't don't minimize injecting shit in your face. Like if it's Botox, if it's a filler, whatever it is that you're getting done, don't minimize what that is and find somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. Like, it's really important, you know?
2: I I think it is. Like you're investing money, it's an out-of-pocket expense, completely elective. Yes, maybe it will wear out in three months, but for three months, you got to live with it.
0: Yeah, and that's a long time. Most relationships don't even last that long. It's
2: true. It's true. So I have
1: a burning question that I think is really an age-old question that we've all wanted to know. And I know that I've said this many times and I believe it to be true, but I would like to get your professional opinion. Do you believe it is actually true that black don't crack? Because I kind of think it doesn't. I, I don't know. I'm going with, like, I'm looking at my mom. I mean, she looks pretty smooth. I'm hoping I get her smoothness. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, like, but honestly, is there really, like, a difference in the skin because of maybe the, you know, the amount of melanin? I don't know. Like, does that really make a
2: difference? Does black really not crack, Dr. Rosie? Um, Not as much. I really think the better elasticity. Here we and, go. Yeah. And do I think it's related to the melanin? So that is a very interesting question. I think yes or no. And I'm not talking even from like a purely scientific, I've read a million papers on this and I'm telling you the truth. I'm just going to tell you my sort of instinct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so melanin is protective, right? Against sunrise and against damage, sun damage. And I think that a lot of that has to do with that. Um, you, you just maintain your skin elasticity and turgor a lot longer because you're a little bit more protected from the negative effects of sunlight.
1: So you guys have heard it here from Dr. Rosie. It is in fact true and confirmed, guys. Wait a second.
0: I don't want all the black people to not wear sunscreen. Still, no, I, I still, still wear sunscreen. sunscreen. <laughs> no, I, I SPF <laughs> it up. I do. You um, do still I get F- melanoma.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, you can, uh, absolutely. And you know, if you're going to look for melanoma, they're more common sometimes in the palms and the feet, but um, absolutely you can get melanoma because it's not 100%. Nothing is right. And we're all still living in planet earth and you can get sunburn regardless of your skin type. But yeah like that's how oh, I I've been really feel like you know there everything is about genetics in terms of your skin elasticity and you can look at how your parents are aging and there's probably going to be you're probably going to follow in the same footsteps because of that not only because of your genetics but you're living in the same environment generally So unless you're adopted in a completely different like space, right. That you don't know, you're probably going to be able to tell, and you're most likely following the same diet. You're most likely following the same patterns of behavior. You're living in the same environment. So you're going to be having all these external things. But I mean, I do think that a lot, all these things play into it, right? Hmm. So, so I have a lot less African-American patients coming to me asking for Botox and fillers. It could just be the community that I live in as well. Okay. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'll be honest with
1: you. I've had friends that are, you know, my age, younger than me, older than me, whatever the case may be. And they've said to me like, oh, you know, we're going to go do this Botox thing. And I've never even thought of Botox. Like I was just kind of like, I'm good. I'm good on the Botox. But like, and I don't know if it's, um, I don't, I'm not going to say it's cultural per se. I just, I just have never really thought
0: about it. Like I mean, you know, I, I have lines. It doesn't even move like a lot naturally You because you haven't had Botox, right? You're I have not started.
1: had Botox. I yeah. think I just try not to get upset
0: about anything ever. But let me see, you. Let, let me see. see you raise your eyebrows because you don't even look I like you I get a lot of that. movement
2: there. Oh
0: yeah.
2: I mean, I have a yeah. ton of people mine and I mean, my moves more than yours Robin. <laughs> She's well, I mean, uh,
1: but a lot of it too. I, and I, I said this before we started the show. I just got my hair done. I've really like tight braids under this. So I think that that's just like keeping my my head back. Mm,
0: <laughs> yes. It's like an instant facelift. Have you it seen is. some of these videos where um, it's usually Asian people? I don't know why. It, maybe this is a thing in some of the Asian countries, but they will like lift their faces up with all this tape.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have you I mean, seen watched, like, Frankie and Grace, I think is like the Netflix show with Jane Fonda. Yes. So in the first mm-hmm. episode, like she's taking off this thing where she's keeping her head up and I just cracked up laughing. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't really know those things existed. I mean, that's fabulous. Do those <laughs> stupid
0: exercises that I've seen these exercise things mm-hmm. going around where, and sometimes there's a device that goes along with it where if it's, it's like you do bench presses for your face and. You know, if you just exercise the muscles in your face that this somehow has anti-aging properties, is this bullshit? Sounds I mean, bullshit I, don't know. I don't
2: have a lot of experience with it. I haven't read much about it. I don't tell my patients to do it. Um, never came up in like residency programs. So I, I mean, I don't know. I love exercise. I think if you want exercise and you have PT of the face, that's fine. I don't think it's going to harm anything, whether or not it's going to help. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. I I mean, as long as it's not harmful and it's, I don't think it's a problem. Like I just, Rosie, I think you were a lawyer in your last life. (laughs) (laughs) I I tell people that people ask me, for example, about like moderma all the time, you know? And I'm like, it's probably not going to harm you unless you're allergic to any of the things. Is it going to help you? I don't know. 20% of people get great benefit from it. 80% of people maybe get marginal benefit from it. Like, is it worth what? Like putting in ten fifteen dollars, I mean, I don't know. What is that? What what is it called? So just like a, 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 a cream that you can put on scars or something like that, you know. But I, but I tell them like, if you want um, my advice and what is going to help you eighty percent of the time and definitely has scientific like data behind it, I'll tell you. You know. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to say like, don't get this thing off the counter because usually most of the time, it's if it's on the counter, it's because it's not going to have a significant amount of side effects that is going to harm you. Right. Right. It's not going to hurt.
1: It may not help, it but it may not it of
2: Yeah. You know, Yeah. Uh, but the one thing I have to say about, you know, black don't crack kind of thing, just to go on there is that not every skin in your body is the same. Mm. Right. So what I find is that, um, like belly skin and thigh skin kind of behave the same in almost everybody of any, um, ethnicity that I've ever operated on. Um, mm-hmm. the face seems to be a little different and I don't know exactly why. Maybe I'll do some research and get back to you on that, but you know, um, abdomen, thighs, buttocks, I think they tend to behave similarly. Stretch and, and cellulite and things like that, that I don't find. So, Dr. Rosie, since we've
1: taken up so much of your time, do That's you right. have Do you have any parting words for us, anything that that we should know, anything that you just want people to know about plastic surgery, about your practice, things that maybe you think the general public kind of, you know, you wish would get out there, you know, Mm -hmm. that you wish maybe a myth you want to dispel
2: something like that. Anything you want us to know? I don't know. Did I end with this last time? Just make sure you do your research, know who's operating on you, talk to friends and people that, um, are in your community, get recommendations, um, talk to a surgeon. Nobody's going to mind if you have a second opinion. Um, you know, the surgeons that mind that you have a second opinion are probably not the ones that you want to stick with. Um, mm. you know, make sure that they can show you pictures of their work. And I have to say that that was the hardest thing for me starting off was that I didn't have pictures of my work. Right. I like, it just started yesterday. You came for a consult today. So there's going to be a patient that's going to take a leap of faith. Um, on you, But most of us, at least in our residency training, have had some patients that were our resident clinic patients or things like that, that you might have some info on. But um, make sure their board certification is there, that, that they are in a solid practice. Um, I think those are the most important things. I think people treat plastic surgery sometimes too trivially. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. About it, you know, it's and completely if it was- elective. If it
0: involves getting injected in the back of a van, don't do it.
2: Don't do it. Someone's basement, someone's yeah. house. You know, like if you're not in a legitimate medical office, then it's 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 not right. Somebody's just trying to make money off of you. And this is the thing about these procedures. They're 100% elective, right? You're not going to have a medical problem if you don't have a tummy tuck. Like, right. yeah, maybe you don't like yourself. You don't like the way you look. And that's important very much so. I mean, I can tell you that I think it's very important for your self-confidence to feel good about yourself. And if this is the step you need to take, that's fine. But you've got to realize that if you don't have this, you're going to continue on in your life. Fine. It's not like an appendix, a bowel obstruction, a cancer, right? So you have to take it serious, more seriously so than if you were picking somebody who's going to do your cancer operation, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because you're going to die of cancer if that cancer doesn't come out. And the person that you're going to go to definitely certified in doing that because it's insurance pay. It's not like some money that you're just going to take out of your wallet and hand them cash, right? Right. Like think the last time somebody handed cash for their medical cancer treatment? Mm-hmm. Not very, I mean, it's unheard of, right? So like in these cosmetic places, it's just a cash pay business and a lot of people just want your cash and they don't necessarily care about you. So you need to find somebody who really cares about you and they're going to take care of you. That's awesome. great advice.
1: That's great advice. As always, as always, I feel like like my brain is swimming with so much information now. So thank you. Thank and you. And I hope Peanut Gallery, I hope we answered all your questions.
0: Yeah. Thanks for coming on board, Peanut Gallery, and contributing. And I put a link here to Dr. Rosie's website. So if you want to check her out more and if you want to take a little ride down to North Carolina, Road trip. Can. Yeah, road trip. And check her out. And also, um, what is your Instagram handle?
2: Uh Rosie and Roter MD.
0: So just Google her. You'll find good stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys. We'll see you next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks for watching and we'll see you on the flip side. Thank you for and having- hey.
1: Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download the podcast there. Subscribe, like, comment. Yes, thank you
0: for your support, everybody. Have a good night. Bye.